What's up, y'all? Happy Thursday. Welcome into Bet to Win. I'm your host, Joe Fan. A loaded show. Nick Dayus, my guy, is on here to talk UFC and NBA. A conversation I know you are going to enjoy is these NBA playoffs have been good um, and will continue to be. It's amazing that it feels like there's so much that's already happened over the course of the first week of the play-in tournaments in the first round of these series. And we will cover every single storyline, top to bottom, from all eight series. Uh, but first, I have an L to hold, unfortunately. Good news is it's not a losing streak yet. But we're in the danger zone of a losing streak because I've lost two in a row. Uh, and that's because I gave you two plays on Monday. It was the Sixers to cover in game two, and it was the Jazz to cover in game two. The Sixers won. The Jazz didn't. Um, so alas, my winning pick record goes down. Jazz were minus five against the Mavs. They had a 10 point lead in the second half and then went absolutely invisible in the fourth quarter down the stretch. Donovan Mitchell, just 13 of 30 MIA in the final minutes of the fourth quarter, while Jalen Brunson and Maxi Kleber looked like Jason Kidd and Dirk Nowitzki. This Jazz team is infuriating. I am hereby putting them on the list of teams I will never bet on for a while. They just are perennial underachievers. They clearly don't like each other. They have no chemistry. Um, And I can't imagine being a Jazz fan watching this team because we've seen this core together for so long. And it's not even like they can't get over the hump. They they can't even get too... The hump. It's like they're a, a mid-seeded playoff team every year. Maybe they win a series, but it's like even the Blazers with with Dame and CJ got to a Western Conference Finals. Uh, this team is just, it, it is, it's embarrassing. And I think there's there's something to be said for a team that is always in the mix, but never, you know, always a bridesmaid sort of, sort of conversation as opposed to, I always bring back to my fandom of being Mariners fan where, when you just expect to suck and you know you're going to suck, there's something you know that you can just kind of count on that it's less frustrating to the team that should be so much better. And this Jazz team is a perennial underachiever, and that series tied 1-1. I can't wait to ask Nick about what he thinks of this Jazz team and where this Mavs series might go with Luka potentially coming back in Game 3 or 4. Uh, before we get to that conversation, a couple NFL headlines. Debo Samuel requesting a trade per Jeff Darlington, who sourced Debo Samuel. No just sources say, no cryptic tweet. I just talked to Debo Samuel. He said he wants a trade. So, of course, in peak blame-the-media fashion, Debo Samuel then tweets out, it's now deleted, it's the media's job to create stories that's what's happening here. Only me, my agent, and the Niners know what's happening. A, a, cryptic, a cryptic tweet of his own. Debo Samuel is an absolute star. All pro last year, 18.2 yards per catch, 14 touchdowns, and almost 1,800 all-purpose yards. Good for third in the NFL. Uh, but this has been a saga that has gone on for a couple months now. I think we saw it first with Kyler Murray scrubbing the Instagram account. Debo Samuel stole that move as well. Um, this is his last year of his rookie deal. Other top wide receivers are getting 25 to 30 million. I get why he wants to get paid. George Kittle, his teammate, just did it a couple of years ago. Um, this is commonplace now, and I think it's understandable for rookies in the last year of their rookie deal 
to say, hey, I am not going to play under market value for another year. To me, it's just like, unless you truly want a trade and he truly wants out, which I am not certain of, to me, this all just feels like a leverage play to get new money. It just feels like there's a way to go about this and a way not to go about this. I cannot stand the scrubbing of the Instagram accounts and Twitter accounts and leaking stuff to media that you want to trade and then saying, oh, it's the media's fault. Well, no, dude, you are creating this storyline. This is you putting yourself in the headlines. Um, I am fascinated to see how it plays out. I don't think he goes anywhere. He's too valuable to Kyle Shanahan's offense. Um, the Niners don't have a first-round pick, so I guess what? You trade away Debo, get a first-round pick, and then use it on a wide receiver. But to me, you can't argue that you're putting Trey Lance in a position to succeed if you're trading away your best skill player. And not just your best skill player from a pass-catching standpoint, but a guy who can who can dominate in the running game as well and take some of the pressure off of Trey Lance. I mean, how funny would it be if Jimmy Garoppolo is on this team next year and Debo Samuel isn't? So you go to Trey Lance and say, hey, Trey, we're going to keep your ex around. They're still going to be here. You're going to live with them, see them every day, work with them. But we're going to trade away your best friend and you're never going to see him again. I just don't see it happening. He and Kyle Shanahan are just such a match made in heaven uh, that I think he's going to be in San Francisco for a long time to come, even though uh, this dramatic saga might play on for multiple more runs into training camp. Uh, Niners currently their fourth best odds to win the NFC at plus 500 um, and plus 160 to win the NFC West, 12 to 1 to win the Super Bowl. Um, and then the secondly, the Steelers uh, reportedly interested in Baker Mayfield. Should he get cut? I'm of the thought that they should be interested in him and be pursuing a potential trade. At this point, the Browns have no leverage in a trade of, of Baker Mayfield. He's not the guy they've already brought into Sean Watson. Baker Mayfield wants out. He said he's not going to play there. He's not going to show up. So could it be a fourth, fifth, sixth round pick for Baker Mayfield? You know, this is different than the Seahawks exploring Baker Mayfield as the replacement for Russell Wilson. This roster isn't good enough to compete. They aren't a contender. They are in at least in a year or two of rebuild mode. Uh, the Steelers aren't in that situation. They were a playoff team with the corpse of Ben Roethlisberger at the helm. So if you can put in a game manager like Baker Mayfield, who I believe in more than most, but certainly will die on the hill of Baker Mayfield being an objectively better quarterback than Mason Rudolph. The fact that that trade's not, even, not done yet, to me, is surprising. I haven't seen anything from Mason Rudolph to warrant the trust that Mike Tomlin has in him. I don't get it. At no point, and we've seen enough of Mason Rudolph now to where I feel pretty confident that this guy is not a competent NFL QB. So to me, it makes too much sense for it to not happen. And I know that Sean Watson might be suspended. He's probably likely to be suspended, which is why the Browns theoretically need Baker Mayfield, at least to start uh, the season. Um, if he's not going to show up and if he's steadfast in that, and, and I think Baker Mayfield is stubborn enough to hold true to that. I think he will take money out of his pocket, out of pure pride to say, I'm not showing up. Him and the Steelers makes too much sense. Steelers currently plus 7,500 to win the Super Bowl uh, and three or 30 to one to win the NFC or AFC. That's enough football for this episode. We'll talk draft next week. 
But I can't wait to talk more hoops. And what's so fun about these next, you know, one to two months, the NBA playoffs going, four different series. They're all seven games. Every time I get to hop on the mic, so much feels like it has happened in these NBA playoffs. And here to discuss it is my guy, Nick Deist, host and founder of the Veterans Minimum Podcast on the Blue Wire Network. You can follow him on Twitter at Nick Deist 10 Nick, what's up, man? Nick at night. I think I might have my nickname <laughs> for you. How you doing, man? Joe, everything is good, man. I'm excited to be back on with you. I feel like it's been a couple of weeks, so I'm ready to rock and roll. Awesome. We're going to talk a little bit of UFC and get your best bets for you. Uh, Las Vegas 52 this Saturday. But first, I want to run through all the series and the storylines yeah, because every night we're getting incredible basketball and each, each series seems to take a little twist and turn, except for a few of them. Um, but let's talk about Wednesday because the hoops on Wednesday night were electric. Um, let's start with the, the marquee game of the night, and that's the Celtics going up 2-0 against the Nets. KD and Kyrie flop completely, going 1-17 of 17 combined in the second half. And I think, for me, it's been surprising how much the Nets role players have stepped up because I think if you look at this series, you say, okay, the two best players in this series are probably KD and Kyrie, but then what, the next five, maybe six, are all on the Celtics roster? Um but they got 23 out of Bruce Brown. They got 16 out of Seth Curry. Uh, Goran Dragic put up 18 off the bench, and they still lost this game. What's your takeaway now two games into this series? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head there, where if you were to tell people, right, armchair quarterback the next day that those guys off the bench, the secondary players, performed the way they did, you would say they, you know, you, you took the nets on the alternate spread. They covered so comfortably. But then you're looking at what happened with Kyrie and Durant. I think that's been the biggest letdown. Durant looks flustered out there. They're, even in the first game, too, he took a backseat to Kyrie because he was running wild in the second half. And they seem to have that chemistry where if one gets going, the other's just going to take a backseat and let him do his thing. And the thing that was crazy about this one, Joe, in this series so far is both teams have had wild comebacks. It's just that the Celtics, when the Nets came back on them, they still won that game, right? So in game one, they're up 14 late in the third quarter. And then they held off that that run by Kyrie and the Nets. And then yesterday's game, the Celtics were trailing. And then they came back too and just completely shut them down. I think the Nets scored 10 or 11 points in the whole fourth quarter. And that's where you got Kyrie and Durant for. The most fascinating thing, Joe, about this series was when you were looking, if we go back prior to the series starting, the future markets were telling you that the Nets should win this series because they had better odds to win the East, but they were dogs to Boston in this series. Slight dogs, essentially a coin flip. But to me, I just think that the the guys that you're expecting to give you 60 to 70 points combined in Kyrie and Durant just haven't been doing that. I agree with you. And we know that the Boston Celtics, one of the best defensive teams in the entire league, but it still doesn't make sense to see Kevin Durant go 0 of 10 in the second half and miss miss mid-range jumper after mid-range jumper after mid-range jumper. And he has been careless with the basketball. He hasn't been great on either end. And you look at the Celtics, you know, Grant Williams keeps them in this game, goes four for four, three of three from three. All three of those triples came in the first half, keeping the Celtics just at least in the ballpark where it's around 10 and not getting blown out in the first half. Al Horford put up 16. Uh, Daniel Tice, 15. Marcus Smart had 12. Um, hit a big three, five for six. From the free throw line, 
Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown were clutched down the stretch. But again, talk about role players. It's for Boston. Those guys are stepping up as well. And they're still kind of biding their time. And now if you can continue to dominate this series, you don't have to rush the time Lord Robert Williams back. I'm feeling really good. The Celtics now the favorite to win the East. They're plus 500 to win the NBA championship in general. I have them at 25 to one. I am thrilled about this future right now. But you have the Nets now at plus 300 to win this series. Is there any value there? I could still see this series potentially going seven games if Kyrie and KD figure it out. Um, maybe I put a hedge on my future with that bet there, but where are you at with the rest of the series? And, and also, just in general, so, how do you decide when to bet on series prices and exact spreads of, of where these series go? I would not bet on anything with the Nets right now because the way I look at the odds, what it's telling me, Joe, is that they're accounting for the Nets to take care of business at home. But one thing is for sure, being a born and raised New Yorker and going to some Nets games, going to some Knicks games, it's going to be 65-35 Celtics fans. The Nets do not have a home court advantage. I'd be very cautious in this series just because they're going back to Brooklyn. Yeah, the role players, we know that cliche in the NBA, role players play better at home than they do on the road. But the role players have been playing pretty well uh, above what we expected for them to be playing in Boston. So it's not going to be a home court advantage for the Nets in Brooklyn. I I think the, the Nets might be toast. Um, only because the Celtics seem to have figured out how to contain Durant to the point where he's not dropping 40 burgers. I think in general, you also have to look at, okay, it's all gone bad for the Nets and KD and Kyrie, but it's not like the Celtics have been playing lights out. Jason Tatum, just five of 16. Again, some really clutch the reason he closed that game very well um, mm -hmm. in game two on Wednesday night. But it's not like he is playing his best ball either. And so the Celtics can play that game. Now going on the road in game three uh, against Brooklyn. Joel Embiid provides the marquee moment of the playoffs so far with the game-winning three in overtime to beat the Raptors. Puts the Sixers up 3-0. Um, they weren't covering minus two until that last shot. And so heartbreak if you were on the Raptors in game three. My takeaway is it is amazing what home court means in the NBA. And I know you have a trend in terms of what happens in the first halves of these games of teams that are down 0-2 and then going home. I'm a firm believer in the series doesn't start until a road team wins a game. That has now happened here with the Sixers beating the, the Raptors in overtime. Um do you think the right, I mean, is this, is this a sweep now at this point? Is that like they yeah. gave them their yeah. best punch and be knocked them out talking shit to Drake on the way out the building. Now they're one game away from a sweep. Yeah. If you lose, if you lose game three and you're down three Oh, it's maybe you have the gentleman sweep, but for the most part, I think this is done in four. This is a, this is a fantastic series uh, from a betting perspective because I made two plays on this one, Joe, and it's sort of the way that I like to approach betting in the playoffs. So one way to find value on big favorites is betting the correct series score. So what I did for this series was I bet the Raptors in six, obviously not going to happen, but then I also bet the 76ers to win by minus one and a half games. So spread series betting is another way to get some better odds. You could have found that at plus 135 at the beginning of the series. In reference to the trend you were talking about, Across all sports, Joe, this might be my favorite one to bet on. In the playoffs, a team down 2-0, coming home for game three, you take them in the first half. Since 2015-16, those teams are 29-6 and against the spread, hitting at 
Let's make that 30 and six because the Raptors were winning at halftime yesterday in that game against the 76ers. So you're looking at a trend that converts over 80% of the time. And we have a couple of games the rest of the way that this could be triggering another trend in our favor. We got the Nets in game three. We got the Hawks and the Nuggets who are all down two coming home for game three in the first half. Love it. Love it. Absolutely love it. We'll get to a couple of those series real quickly before we move on to the Bucks and the Bulls game two where the Bulls stole it. Uh, in Milwaukee and reclaim, not reclaim, but took over home court advantage for that series. I, I want to get your take on James Harden because I think the reason why people are skeptical of betting on the Sixers is A, Doc Rivers is their head coach. And yes, he has a title with 2008 with the Boston Celtics, but by and large, over the last decade, his teams have underwhelmed in the postseason. Um, and then you have James Harden, who just hasn't been great in the postseason himself. He's sort of been taking a passenger seat in this series so far. Not just a Joel Enby, but also Tyrese Max. He only took 13 shots in 38 minutes uh, on Wednesday night. Yes, he fouled out, but still, he's sort of been pedestrian, much more of a facilitator. I just don't know what to make of his series so far. It's the playoffs. That's what you can make of it. James Harden is infamous for just being ghost when it matters most. Uh, th this is coming from someone, Joe, who I've lost a lot of money on James Harden in the past, whether it was to win MVP, whether it was with the Rockets, this guy, his entire career in the playoffs just goes blank, just does not perform. And then the list goes on and on. We could dedicate two hours to this, but we're not. I think Maxi is overperforming. Embiid is doing what Embiid does, a, a favorite to win the MVP. But James Harden is kind of just the playoffs, right? And you also have a coach in Doc Rivers who, uh, I know one of the guys that we work with is a Celtics fans per his uh, posts. And I know you have a ticket on the Celtics, but no team has milked the championship in sports history more than the 08 Celtics. Every other week, they're retiring someone's jersey or it's a banner. And Doc Rivers has blown the most 3-1 leads in NBA history. Uh, when it comes to the 76ers in particular and James Harden, I just think that eventually it's going gonna, it's gonna to show that that 3 of 20 from the field from James Harden it's going to happen because we have a decade-long sample size of it happening. Uh, let's talk about the Bulls beating the Bucks. The Bulls covered 10.5 comfortably in game one and, and made the Bucks feel them and said, okay, we're here, not just on the offensive end uh, with some of the role players stepping up, but even with DeMar DeRozan and, and Zach Levine having a poor offensive game in that, in that opener, uh, defensively, they gave the Bucks problems and, again, covered comfortably. They won by four. It felt, by much, felt like much more than that on Wednesday night, even the series at one. And again, taking over home court advantage. DeMar DeRozan puts out 41 on 16 of 31 shooting. Zach Levine is super efficient, seven of 13. Uh, Nikola Vucevic, 24 and 13. He dominated. And then the Caruso, nine points, 10 assists. Maybe the most universally liked player in the entire NBA. Um, Chris Middleton now has a knee injury. The Bucks have some concerns they are human. The defending champs, how concerned should they be, Nick? I don't think they should be too concerned unless they get word that Middleton might be out for the rest of the series. Then I would still keep them as the favorite. I still think they advance. But, you know, looking past this round, because they took care of business against the Bulls in the regular season. And I think, you know, Portis was a little hobbled yesterday, too. They just need to get something out of Holiday and Middleton because Giannis has reached this level 
at this point of his career, Joe, where you just expect him to have an A-plus game every time the going gets tough. Now, they're going to get an MRI later today on the knee for Middleton. That's going to be the biggest news that's going to break out of the NBA. They're going back home. They have home court advantage. I think they're really well coached. I'm a big Billy Donovan guy. But I still wouldn't be too concerned that someone who does have futures on the Milwaukee Bucks moving forward, unless, unless in a couple hours when the report comes out about the knee, then I might feel a little bit different on this. Okay, I want to talk about the Nuggets and Warriors series. It's a perfect transition, in my opinion, because you talk about Giannis being just an auto monster game. You had 33, 18, and 9. It's hard to expect much more from the multiple-time MVP, finals MVP, NBA champion. And he's got Chris Middleton, Brooke Lopez, Drew Holiday, Bobby Portis, is, is you could even put there, um, Pat Connaughton. I think is is all better than what Nikola Jokic is dealing with in Denver outside of I'll give you Will Barton who can fill it up when he gets hot. So I know you mentioned your trend of teams that are down 0-2 and then uh you know the 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 lower seed comes back and wins at least the first half. In Toronto's case you saw them almost win after not deserving to be on the same court with the Sixers for two games. I don't know the scenario. I don't know how this plays out for the Nuggets even to win in the first half. They had a double-digit lead in the first half of game two and still didn't have a halftime lead and then lost by 20 and got run out the building. So give me your take on these Nuggets and if you do indeed think they have a pulse. Yeah, I just think they ran themselves into the dirt. Uh, they Because of the injuries that they suffered throughout the regular season, they've had to play a lot of these secondary guys big-time minutes. And I just think I see a fatigued team. Now, you do have the high altitude where in the playoffs, especially the Nuggets cover 64% of their games at home since 2000. Now, look, they did reach some bad times during that period, but, you know, yeah, they had Carmelo Anthony and then the second run of the Jokic guys over there. So you do have that tread backing, but I just think there's a lot of firepower with Golden State. Poole is now just basically the third Splash Brother and Curry is back to his old self and now I believe, I'm pretty sure, Joe, they're the current favorites to win the NBA title. They yes, are. Plus three 300 to one. on win bet. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, when the playoffs started, they were the fourth favorite, I, I think, if I remember correctly. Not that too drastic. They were like, around seven or eight to yeah. one. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Seven or eight to one. And now they're the favorite. And I mean, look, they've covered both of their games in the first, first two. And they've been dominant. And no signs of them slowing down. And you look at the landscape of the West, if Booker's hurt, a, a lot of funkiness could go down. So just to be clear, are you betting Nuggets first half tonight? Oh, I mean, you, you have to for the culture and for the, you know what I'm saying? Like, come on, we got 30 and six in the last 36. We have to. Okay. Have to. I just need, I just need Warriors to win the game. I've got a six leg parlay with the Warriors as the last leg. Just need to win. Don't need to cover anything. Just get that money line. Um, the Jazz and Mavs have been a really interesting series so far. The Jazz sort of lucky to get a game one win. There's six and a half point favorites. This series tied 1-1. I think what maybe makes Jazz backers feel better about this is that they're coming home. And so you could, again, if you go down the narrative of the series doesn't start till the road team wins, well, they, they won one. So now they have home court advantage, but they split with the Mavs, even though Luka didn't play. And Jalen Brunson just put up 40. And Maxi Kleber looked like Dirk. Like, and this Jazz team, they kind of hate each other. They're underperforming every year. 
this is probably the last year of this kind of core. I mean, how worried should they be? Do they still get through the Mavs? Luca might um, return. This this line was up over seven. It's coming back down. It's now six and a half, which you know gives an indication that betters think Luca is going to play, or they just are happy to fade the Jazz because the Jazz are a hot mess. They're a hard team to watch right now. Uh, you you might be talking to the number one Jazz hater. <laughs> I I can't stand this team. Don't like watching them. I hope life they crash and burn out the playoffs. Or recent recent memory. Uh, because of a lot of financial reasons why, yeah. but this is a team that continues to underperform in the playoffs. I mean, on, on my show, I compared them to the Dallas Cowboys regular season. They look great. They have big wins. People get behind them and then come playoffs <laughs> crash and burn. So to me, the jazz are a team who you're right. The, the core, they have a really good core, but there seems to be dilemmas between is it Rudy's team? Is it Donovan's team? The, the coach now, Schneider, is rumored to maybe take the Laker job. They've given up first-round picks. They're not really drafting anyone because <clears> they give it up for a Conley and a Bogdanovich. And they have a lot of nice pieces, but there's something about them when the playoffs happen that they just continue to underperform. And I think if you're the Mavericks, yeah, you dropped a game at home, but a lot of people had you down 0-2 with Luka not being there. So if you get Luka back, I think the Mavericks win this series. And I think starts in basketball are overrated because we see double-digit leads evaporate so quickly. And the, and the Jazz have gotten off to excruciating starts. They won game one. They ended up having a 10-point lead in that third quarter before falling completely flat. I also think, I think Donovan Mitchell's got to step up a bit. I mean, he was woeful down the stretch of game two with Jalen Brunson uh, being the best player on the floor in that game. That dude at some point is going to have a paycheck coming his way much larger than the one he's receiving right now. Um, let's finish up Thursday's action with Wolves plus one and a half coming home. The series tied 1-1. They also, the lower-seeded team that now has home court advantage. The Grizzlies were uh, fairly, I would say, mostly atrocious in game one. The Wolves handled them, but then they come back with a big blowout win against Minnesota in game two. Um, I know you still see value in betting the Grizzlies. I have a plus 2,200 future. You have a, a 17 to one future. They're currently at 14 to one. Um, this to me is a series that could still go seven. Do you agree? Uh, no, I disagree. And I think Memphis in this game is my one show. You're not showed... allowed to disagree with me. <laughs> I, I think Joe Memphis showed the inexperience of them for the first time making the playoffs. Uh, only the Cavs surpassed their win total from the start of the season. Uh, more than what the Grizzlies did. So no one saw the Grizzlies being a two-seed young team, some people considering them a sleeper like myself. So maybe they fell into the trap of all the hype. And I think with Memphis, they handle business in game two. I loved what I saw in game two. As a young team, you drop that first game. How do you bounce back? You beat them by 15 plus points, easily cover the spread. I think the Grizzlies win out the rest of the way. I think the wow. series ends in four. Uh, excuse me, in five. Yep. Yeah, and I, I think you. the the makeup of this team, it was just growing pains of that first time being in the playoffs. And, and Jenkins, who, in my opinion, should be coach of the year because of what a great job he did without John Morant in the lineup. I, I believe they were like 20 and five in the regular season. You take away someone's best player, they're probably going to struggle. But the team is so loaded with talent and so much depth and now you have Ja over there too. Now, I know anytime Ja drives to the cup, you're always worried that he might be blowing out a knee because his body just goes all over the place. 
but I think Memphis wins out the rest of the way. And they're, they're, they're a team that I'm still keeping my eye on. And I know I'm financially strapped to them, Joe, but they, they're a fun and explosive team. And they can run with the best of them. I think it ends in five. They are fun and explosive. I think at some point you have to get something out of Steven Adams. I know Brandon Clark has played well off the bench in this series, and he has been the guy in the front court for that team. But you're sort of missing Jonas Valanciunas right now. And Steven Adams has been invisible against Carl Anthony Towns, hasn't been able to defend the perimeter against a guy like uh, like Cat, who who can shoot the three at a good percentage, like a Joel Embiid and a Nikola Jokic. Um, I just think the Wolves make you uncomfortable enough offensively. They're physical enough defensively. They can get hot enough offensively. They have legit superstar power at both ends. Um, D'Angelo Russell isn't a superstar, but he's a guy who can take a game over or at least a quarter over um, at some point. And he hasn't done that yet. So I do think the Grizzlies win the series, but I can see the, the Wolves, and I would expect the Wolves to get at least one more game, probably split these two at home. You mentioned Coach of the Year, and if we're giving out a Coach of the Year award, uh, for the last two weeks, it's without question Willie Green. His Pelicans win two play-in mm. games and are now tied 1-1 with the Suns. I know Book got hurt. That changed the game. He had 30 in the first half of game two. But you look at game one, and the Suns are absolutely dismantling New Orleans. And New Orleans still fights back and says, hey, we are not going down without a fight in this series. They almost covered the 10 and a half. The number lands on 11. If not for CP3, the 36-year-old point god, going off in the second half and putting the team on his back like Greg Jennings and Madden, uh, the, the Pelicans would have covered that game as well. And so now they go home. They've got home court advantage. Devin Booker is hurt. Um, you mentioned with the Bucks losing Middleton, potentially you're not super concerned about them, at least in that series. But to me, the Suns look pretty mortal. And then now you add in a Devin Booker hamstring injury. You know how finicky hamstrings can be. This is all a big, long diatribe to say, is there some some doubt that should creep into the minds of Suns fans right now? Nah, because top to bottom, I think the Suns are the best team in the league. And I, I mean, it's not really a hot take, right? They finished with the best record in the NBA. I, I agree with you. Green has been doing an amazing job. No one thought that they were going to end up being the A seed. McCollum has really flourished in that role as being uh, the guy, mostly. I know Ingram had a monster game last time they were out. Did he ever? I think Chris Paul is going to be able, yeah, Chris Paul is going to be able to to get the job done. One thing that I like looking at Joe is is how the markets overreact to a loss or a win. And at the beginning of the the, the playoffs, a Suns, Bucks, and Grizzlies parlay to win the series alone was minus nine hundred. Now you could get those three teams to win their series at plus one fifty. I still would probably do that, right? You're looking at a one, a two, and a three seed against teams that they played very well against in the regular season. So to me, I'm not really concerned. Hats off to the Pelicans because the whole Zion situation is a mess too. So all that adversity that they had to deal with, not having them and have to always answer these questions. I- I'm not concerned. You're the one seed overall. It would be a gigantic collapse if they don't make it out this series. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think they are deep enough to at least ride out a Booker injury. I mean, you have obviously Chris Paul, but I love McCall Bridges. Um, I love Cam Johnson off the bench. Uh, one of my favorite six, seventh men in the entire league. Mm-hmm. Um, although, you know what? I don't know if there's a guy in the league that throws up more prolific bricks than Jay Crowder. I mean, that dude, Oh yeah, those, those things... <laughs> it, there's not a lot of arc on him. 
they're missiles and those things clang off the back rim and they go, I mean, he's the king of the long rebounds. Um, I just, uh, he's catching strays. I just, I have a buddy who's a diehard Suns fan. Every game I text him when Jay Crowder has just got the ultimate green light in his own head and this irrational confidence that he is Steph Curry. Um, that dude bricks a lot of threes. We watched it last year in the playoffs, particularly in the finals. And it's been happening again through two series or through two games of this series. Uh, the last series we haven't talked about. Um, I don't know if we have to spend a bunch of time here, but you mentioned, I guess you're taking Hawks first half down 2-0 uh, to the Heat coming home. They probably lose this game, although the Heat only one and a half point favorites. So again, books giving the the dog or the, you know the dog coming home down 2-0 a lot of respect. We saw it with Toronto. We, we've seen it with Denver and now New Orleans and Atlanta. Um, is this going to be a sweep or the Hawks find a way to get one? I like the Hawks as a team. A lot of depth. They got Trey Young, who has had a pretty rough start to these playoffs. I think being at home, I have I had this series ending in five for Miami. I think they win game three. And I think it's just having the game at home, Miami traveling now. You don't have the South Beach flu. You got to worry about being in South Beach for four days. A lot of partying going on. That's another thing. Miami covers close to 69% of their games in the 305, Joe, because there's a lot of things you can do in Miami when you're down there for that many days. But I think them going to Atlanta, I think Trey Young, the crowd gets behind them. Love them in the first half. Obviously, we talked about the trend before. But I think they win game three, and then they go back to Miami down 3-1. Okay. That's one hell of a of an NBA update. Uh, we've had mm-hmm. a lot of conversations, Nick. I think that 30 minutes on where these first rounds are was maybe my favorite because, again, it feels like every night the narrative shift a little bit and we see these series take unexpected turns. And outside of, I think, Warriors, Nuggets, and Heat Hawks, they're legitimate talking points and curiosities about all the other six series. So, and we're just getting started. There's still three more series after this. So a ton of NBA talk between me and my guy, Nick, to come uh, in the coming weeks and month. Um, Before I let you go, Nick, UFC Las Vegas 52 is this Saturday live from the Apex at UFC headquarters. Uh, The main event, is Jessica Andrade minus 200 uh, against Manda Limos at plus 165. The co-main is Clay Guida at minus 110 against Claudia Puelas uh, at minus 110. That, that, that fight is a coin flip. Uh, out of those two matchups, and I apologize if I butchered either of the names, um, do you have a best bet this weekend? The, this is a rough card, man. <laughs> this might be one of the worst main events for a fight night. Um, because it's, you know, they're, they're in the 115 division. Andrade has went up on 125, dropped yeah. back down. And look, she's a former champion. Lemos is on a streak. She has only one loss in her career. It's her first main event in the UFC. And to me, Joe, this is one that screams decision for Lemos if I'm going to bet it or Andrade inside the distance because she has finished fights in the past. Most notably, one of her biggest wins was when she slammed Rose Namajunas, who's the champion now, on her head when she attempted a triangle. But this is a main event where I want to say the winner of this is one fight away from a title shot. But it's, it's a very, very underwhelming card. And there's also a monster favorite on this. I don't know if you saw, but this guy Romanov, he's an undefeated heavyweight, Joe. He's minus 2,100. 
I'll lay it. Chase Sherman is, yes, Chase Sherman is taking this fight on full, what is it, four or five days notice because his other opponent, who he was a minus 1,800 favorite against. Sky Romanov is an absolute savage and machine. He's won all his fights in the UFC. He's undefeated also. Uh, his inside the distance will probably be minus 700. So there's not much value to bet on Romanov. But this is just a card that it's it's not a very... This is a card that I like to say, you know what? Go out with your plus one on a date Saturday night. You don't need to stay in to watch this. I love that. You know, it's funny hearing you talk about UFC, especially these lesser known cards. Um, it's sort of like when Claudia and I would... Well, we wouldn't even talk hockey. I would listen to her talk hockey and I'd be like, you could be making up names right now. And I would just nod and smile and say, that's a really <laughs> good point. I totally agree. Uh, that fight you mentioned with Andrade and her signature win. Gosh, love that fight. Remember every second of it. Uh, Nick, you are the absolute man. It's always fun chatting with you. He's the host and founder of the Veterans Minimum Podcast on the Blue Wire Network. You can follow him on Twitter at NickDays10. Nick, until next time, sir, this has been a blast. and look forward to chatting soon. Sounds good, Joe. Thanks, man. Yes, sir. And I look forward to it. Great stuff there uh, with my guy, Nick Dayas. Uh, he doesn't need me to be his hype man, but I'm a huge fan of Nick Dayas. Um, like the dude can talk any sport, can talk it well. Um, and not only can he talk betting, certainly to a better degree than I can. I mean, he's been in this game far longer than myself and is 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 very much deeper in the weeds than I am. I, I enjoy it uh, as sort of a hobby. It's a lifestyle for that guy. And I love how he rides and dies with his picks um, and then, of course, him essentially teaching me UFC 101 has been a lot of fun for me. So I, I love having him on. I think that was my favorite conversation with him yet um, and look forward to more in the coming weeks and months throughout these NBA playoffs. Uh, let's give away some money before I give you a winning pick. And, and it is going to be a winning pick this time. I promise. But first, win bets. Bet 10, win 200 promo is still going for new win bet users. They can receive $200 in free bets. After they make their first qualifying deposit and place that first bet on WinBet, once that bet is settled, you'll receive four installments of $50 free bets. Go to winbet.com or download the WinBet app for official rules and details. Winning pick time, my April record. I'm not proud. Two and four. It's two and four. It's like, it's not good, but it's not ruining your bankroll yet. But we're going to win here on this Thursday show. I'm taking Warriors money line minus 130. I got it minus 120. I would take it all the way up to minus 150. And I told Nick, I've got a six-leg parlay. All five or the first uh, first five legs were on uh, on Wednesday. Um, and then now the Warriors, all I need to cap that six-leg parlay. They have to win, right? Warriors at minus 130 is a line. I don't understand. This is my whale hammer, triple diamond, max unit play lock. I understand the narrative of teams that are down 2-0 and they come back and win the first half. Nick, give us the numbers. We saw it with Toronto who should have won that game, but they did win the first half. And, and maybe the Nuggets do win the first half. But they had a 10-point lead in the first half of game, uh, game two and lost by 20. I just don't see the scenario in my head for Denver to win this game. The Warriors simply have too much talent. They're too deep. And they have four guys that can cook you at any given moment with Clay Thompson, Andrew Wiggins, Steph Curry, and now Jordan Poole, who's been the best of all of them so far in this series. 
What is the scenario? I'll give you Will Barton as like a one, not even one B, like a one D to Nikola Jokic. He can fill it up when he gets high, but what's his ceiling? 25 points? What's a lights out game from Aaron Gordon or Austin Rivers or Jeff Green? How does that play out in a Nuggets win? For me, the scenario is Draymond gets ejected in the first quarter. Jokic puts up 45 and is his lights out from three. He's 0 for 8 from three so far in this series, by the way. And the Warriors guards pull a KD and Kyrie in completely no-show. That's the perfect storm. And I just don't see it. Again, too much talent, depth, and playoff experience on Golden State's roster. Uh, And they've also got fresh legs given the blowouts in games one and two. If I'm wrong, then fine. Take my units, take my money. I'll lose the bag on it. But I am happy to bet on the vastly superior team. Give me Warriors money line at minus 130. Super fun show. It's going to do it for us here on Bet to Win. A big thank you again to my guy, Nick Dayas. Huge week next week with more NBA playoffs discussion. We are also going to dive into the NFL draft. Feels more subdued this year, maybe because there's no Trevor Lawrence headlining the, the whole thing. Aiden Hutchinson not selling tickets, but it is in our backyard here uh, on Las Vegas Boulevard on the Strip. And so much to come next week on Bet to Win with the NFL draft, with the NBA playoffs. Enjoy your weekend, folks. We'll see you on the other side.